All right. So a little bit about me. Dr. Ellen was talking about all the ways, what we were, right? What we were before Christ. Well, for, for my family, I grew up in Southern California, and my parents came from the country of Taiwan, and we grew up, what we were was idol worshipers. So quite literally, I grew up in a home where there were idols. We were taught to bow to idols. Every year, we would sacrifice to ancestors, giving them food and eternal money and burning incense so that they would bless us in this life. And that was the worldview that I was raised up in. And it wasn't until Jesus came and found my parents, and I literally saw them physically repent by removing all these idols out of our home, that one by one, it was the Lord's work, but just he one by one saved all my siblings and myself, my parents first. And so I thank the Lord for his faithfulness to undeserving people um, and just see how throughout the word, what we were, what the Bible says we were versus what Dr. Ellen was saying this morning, what we are now, it, the transformation, we cannot take any credit for it, right? This is the Lord's work and we are disciples of Christ and that means he is the one forming us. But what I, I'm so excited to talk about this particular topic this morning because one of the primary means of grace that God has given us in that work of discipleship that he is doing is the local church. It is the local church. And I love the local church, and I get excited to talk about the local church because what we're going to see from Genesis to Revelation is that the big story of the Bible is all about a people a people that God has gathered from every tongue, tribe, nation, in every place, every time, who bear his name, who belong to him, who are his treasured possession, who are eager to do good works. So I get really excited about talking about the church. In Revelation, we see that not only do we see the grand picture and God's design of, for the, the church, but we also see warnings throughout Scripture like in 1 Corinthians and Revelation, we see God warning churches to repent of things that they were doing or else he would take away their lampstands, right? The local church is meant to be like shining lights in a dark world where God can be seen. And God's hope and design is that these local churches, which reflect the invisible church with the uppercase C all throughout the world, that these local churches would serve as lights but the problem is, we all know, right, living in this fallen world, there are still unhealthy churches. And the reason why is because there, are, there is still spiritual unhealth, right? There's the opposite of spiritual health. And the Lord's redeeming that. And I think one of the reasons why there is a lack of spiritual health in churches can be because we don't often think deeply about the local church. And there is a link between spiritual health and having a sound doctrine about the local church. Because that word, we see it all throughout the scriptures, sound doctrine, sound doctrine. Well, what does that mean? Literally, in the Greek, it is healthy teaching. Isn't that wonderful? And this is what we're doing all today, is just dwelling and marinating and meditating on that healthy teaching that is meant to be life-giving to believers of Jesus Christ. So sound doctrine leads to spiritual health. In Paul's letter to Titus, he tells Titus to do what? To teach the Christians there in that pagan country, pagan island of Crete, what accords with sound doctrine. That means something goes alongside healthy teaching. And what is that? But healthy living, godly living. And spiritual health is absolutely linked to a robust theology of the church. In other words, healthy teaching about the church is necessary for good spiritual health. And there are some ways that we might be thinking about the church, especially after two years of what the whole world has been through, we may have unhelpful or even incomplete ways of thinking about the church. Sometimes we don't even think about the church, right? We don't think about what 
who is she, what is her mission, and it's kind of like how we think about plumbing. Like, do you think about the plumbing in your house every day? You probably don't, right? Because you don't think about the plumbing or the pipes or the faucet until something goes wrong, right? Until the house smells like sewage or water spraying everywhere or not even coming at all. We're headed into a drought, right? We don't think about plumbing until things go wrong. And I think oftentimes we as believers don't think about what the local church is until something goes wrong. Sometimes Christians can lopsidedly expect pastors or staff to do all the heavy lifting in the church because, hey, they're the leaders. And without healthy teaching, we might even believe that God doesn't expect anything of us aside from attending. Another way that we can think of unhelpfully about the church is to only think about the church in terms of how it benefits us. This is something that I struggle with. A pastor friend who gives the same marriage sermon at at different weddings used this analogy about marriage. He said there are lots of benefits to marriage, right? There's so many benefits. We know them. But the benefits of marriage are different from the purpose of marriage. So you have the purpose but you have the benefits. And sometimes we swap, right? We, we get, people get married for the benefits when really the purpose is laid out for us in Ephesians. What was the purpose of marriage? That God would be pictured. His relationship with the church would be ultimately pictured and glorified for what it is. And our earthly human marriages are just a small picture pointing to that great union between Christ and the church. In the same way, I think we can do that with the local church. We think about the benefits, and they're good benefits. There is fellowship. There's accountability. There's worship. There are so many benefits to the local church, but we don't want to get it mixed up with the purpose. Why does the church exist? And when we only think about the church in terms of the benefits, what does she do for me? We make church about us. We put ourselves at the center. And that's not good because ultimately the church is about the glory of God, making God known in this world. So one of the things that I find helpful in combating either not thinking about the church at all, even for those of us who've been in the church for a long time, who, have, who know our Bibles, who are read up on our theology, who've been taught about this, it's so easy to forget Right? It's so easy to forget. We often know the what's, but we don't know the why's. And what I mean by that is sometimes we, we just sort of separate the, the command or what we've been prescribed to do by God, and we forget about the motivation or the why, why he would ask us to do that. So an example I often give is, you know, there's a, that well-known verse, to be tenderhearted with one another, forgiving each other. And we sort of stop there. We're like, we should be forgiving people. We should be Uh, gentle and tenderhearted with each other. But if you continue reading that verse in Ephesians, it says, why? Because God in Christ forgave you. So all of the things that God has asked us to do, they have a why behind them. And the church is no different. We need to know the why. You see, the commitment, our commitment to the local church, sisters, is evidence of our love and commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ and his glory. I'll say that again. You see, our commitment to the local church is evidence of our love and commitment to the Lord Jesus and his glory. So we're going to do a bit of a refresher, but I think that it's so important as we think about what it means to be disciples of Christ who enjoy him, but also want to see other people enjoy him as well. Who is the church? Who is the church? Did you know that most of the New Testament letters were written to local churches or local church pastors? I think we all know this, but sometimes when we read the epistles, we start to read it in individualistic ways, right? We, we go, okay, it's saying this, we're doing our observation, we're interpreting, but we often forget that the context for a lot of these New Testament letters was that it was to an entire church, That means the expectations, the doctrine, the practice, everything that's laid out was meant for an entire group of people. And I come from a very communal background. 
And so this is not as far of a stretch for me, but I think for living in the West, and we used to, my husband and I, we used to do ministry in the Middle East for many years. And I think watching America from afar, we could see, oh, like there are some cultures that get the communal aspect and there are some that are more individualistic. And I think that that does affect the way that we read the scriptures. So when we look at the New Testament, we have to remember these The church was so important to the Lord that he dedicated so much of the New Testament to addressing local churches and pastors. And I love that quote. It's at the top of your handout for my my session. The church is not a place. It's not a physical building. It's not a spiritual service provider. It's a people. The new covenant, blood-bought people of God. That's why Paul said Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, Ephesians 5.25. That's from Mark Dever's What is a Healthy Church? Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And the church isn't an accidental byproduct of the gospel. She is essential to the gospel. The church is the corporate witness of God, all that God has done for his people in Christ, And the church is God's idea, not ours. The church is God's idea, not ours. And God saves men and women into churches. He doesn't save them to become little islands or little floating body parts. He saves them into a body, into local churches. Gospel work in the hearts of God's people creates a real, visible, tangible community. I love this quote. The gospel is church-shaped. Isn't that beautiful? The gospel is church-shaped. So what are some ways that God has referred to? Can you all just shout out, what are some ways that God has referred to the church in the New Testament? What are some pictures? The bride, okay. What else? There's a lot. Say that again. Oh, peculiar people, yes. Amen. What else? What are some other pictures that God uses to to describe his church? The body? The saints? Any others? The bride? Royal priesthood? Any others? Heirs? Intercessors? There's more. Citizens? Holy nation? The flock of God? right? The sheep of his pasture. There are so many wonderful pictures that we find throughout the scriptures describing the church, which is the gathered people of God. So let's take a look at 1 Corinthians 15. If you have your Bibles, open it to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and we're going to look at it together and see what is the church's message. So the church has a message because we have a speaking God and we've been gathered. And so our speaking God has a message that he wants us to speak as well. What is that message? Let's turn to 1 Corinthians 15. Okay, we're going to look at verses 3 to 4. Let me read it for us. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. So what is Paul saying here? He's talking about, he's telling the Corinthian church the matter of first importance. And what is that? matter of first importance according to the text the gospel right it's the gospel he says he's addressing all these people not just their pastors but the people of the church and he's charging them to hold firmly to the word that was preached to them through him and this sisters is our job as well it's not just our pastor's job it's not not just the job of the staff as God's household and part of God's family This is our job as well, to hold to the gospel, to remember that it is a matter of first importance for us. Now, why 
does the church exist? Why does the church exist? In other words, what is her purpose? If, if that is her message, what we just read in 1 Corinthians 15, then what is her purpose? Well, let's turn to 1 Timothy chapter 3. If you could turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 to 15. And I'll read it for us here. Paul, writing to a pastor, Timothy, says this, I hope to come to you soon, but I'm writing these things so that you, if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of truth. Mm, Amen. I love that image. And what they mean by pillar and buttress If you look at a lot of ancient architecture, the the buttress was what supported the the building, supported the walls of the building so so that it would be able to stay upright. So it holds it up. The buttress holds it up. But the pillar, if you look at like ancient Roman ruins, you'll see often what survives is the pillar, right? These giant columns. And that, I used to think, oh, that was to hold up the whole building. Actually, it was the buttresses that held it up. But the pillar was to lift it high so that those from far away could see it and marvel at its beauty. And I love that image, that Paul uses that. It's not only relevant for the people in his day, but it's relevant for us as well, isn't it? The church is the pillar and buttress of truth, truth about God, truth about his plans of redemption. And there's this beautiful quote. It says, here is the double responsibility of the church. First, as its foundation, it is to hold the truth firmly so that it does not collapse under the weight of false teaching. Secondly, as the pillar, it is to hold it high so that it is not hidden from the world. To hold the truth firm is the defense and confirmation of the gospel. To hold it high is the proclamation of the gospel, and the church is called to both ministries. It's from pastor and theologian John Stott. Now, let's look at another passage that helps us understand the purpose of the church. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 3. I feel like all the chapters are 3. So let's go to Ephesians chapter 3. I didn't plan that, but Ephesians chapter 3. Let's go there real quick. And we're going to be in verse 8. So Ephesians chapter 3, verse 8. And I'll read verses 8 to 12. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone What is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things? So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So here we see right in the center of that passage in verse 10, that word manifold. I love that word manifold, which can be translated as multifaceted. And I want you to think of a diamond and all the beautiful edges and sides to a diamond that make it so brilliant, right? And I think the gospel is is that diamond as it reflects all the character traits of God. It highlights on the, on when Jesus went to the cross, when he died, when he rose again, all the things that the gospel accomplished, our justification, our sanctification, our adoption, our redemption, all of these things are like that diamond reflecting the character of God. He is just. We see that in the gospel. He is merciful. We see that in the gospel. He is loving. He is gracious. He is compassionate. He is patient. We see all of God's manifold wisdom highlighted 
in the gospel. And in verse 10, when it says, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be now made known, it's not like it just sits there in the gospel. It is made, his character is made known through us in our local churches. What a beautiful description. So vertically, God reconciles sinners to himself, vertically. But horizontally, God is also reconciling us to one another. And that's what the church demonstrates. That's also another purpose. God was uniting what was formerly divided. So sin, Genesis 2, entered the world, and that horizontal relationship with God is fractured, done. And then the vertical, and then the horizontal between man and woman, and man and man, and woman and woman, also destroyed. But in Christ, in the church, we see God is uniting a divided people. The Lord Almighty shows his manifold wisdom, and God's wisdom is displayed as peoples from all tribes, tongues, nations, education, socioeconomic status. They all partake in the same promise and live unified lives together. When we lived in the Middle East, uh, we were at an international church in Dubai, and in our congregation were people from over, I think over 40 nations were represented. And so every Sunday, we got to worship alongside people from South America, from Europe, from Africa, from the United States, from all over, all over Australia, all over the world. And it was just so such a beautiful picture of what we'll be doing in heaven forever. That it doesn't, it's not that these things don't matter to the Lord, but that all people have been united, all tribes, tongues, and nations have been united in Christ and will praise him today and on that last day. And I remember we would go out to lunch afterwards in, in somewhere in the city, and oftentimes people would be looking at us like, what? Like, why are you all friends? And they would ask, why are you all, what, what is this? Like, why, how do you all know each other? Because we were all so different. And we would get to tell them, we have the same father. We belong to the same family. Praise the Lord. What a beautiful testimony. We see in other parts of scripture that God also holds the local church responsible. Not just her pastors, though they are going to give an account, but the local churches were responsible in the scriptures for allowing false teaching or unqualified teachers. They were responsible for not exercising discipline over unrepentant or scandalous public sinfulness. 1 Corinthians is all about that. God held the churches responsible for letting worship gatherings become chaotic talent shows instead of times of devotion to him. He held them responsible for losing the gospel we see in Galatians. They were responsible for not treating each other the way that he had treated them. James and 1 John talk about this. God holds churches responsible for messing with ordinances like the Lord's Supper. So Paul tells us that the Ephesians, tells the Ephesians that the churches have been gifted pastors, teachers, evangelists, apostles. They have been given to the church as gifts, but why? Why have they been given to the church? To equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. So it's the saints, it's us who do the work of the ministry, the church. Sisters, what a tremendous privilege. We get to play a part in all of these things that we see throughout Scripture. Making disciples of all nations from Matthew 28. Displaying the manifold wisdom of God. Beautifying the truth of the gospel. Proclaiming it to a world that is in desperate need of redemption and beauty. As God's treasured people who shine as bright lights, we must live godly lives together. And if you want to be spiritually healthy, keep learning about the church. Keep remembering who is the church. Why are you a part of the church? What is the church about? We want to be thoughtful. That's why I want to be thoughtful about the ministries of our churches 
or how we spend our time when it comes to pouring into other women's lives. Do our opinions about service or about how we spend our time with other brothers and sisters, do our opinions line up with the objectives that we see in God's word? It is good. She was talking about earlier, we got to test ourselves to see if we're in the faith. It's also good to examine and ask ourselves, do I want this program or this event because it upholds and proclaims the gospel? Because it helps us follow Jesus together? Or do I want it because it helps people follow me? Do I want it because it makes me feel good? Because church is about displaying the wisdom, the glorious wisdom and character of God, not us, right? It's to highlight what he is like, not what, not just what we are like, but it's to highlight what he is like. And because it helps us treasure each other, that we need to ask ourselves when, we, when it comes to ministries or service, is it helping us treasure each other in the way that God treasures us? Because Galatians makes it clear, you cannot, you cannot please God and you cannot please man, be a people pleaser, and please God at the same time, right? So we need to be clear on all these things regarding the church. We've come through a really rough several years. I'm sure many of us know so many stories about the ways that people have been um, either they've left the church or they've been hurt by the church. They've, some have lost their way, never finding their way back to the church. Some find it hard to re-engage, feel scared to be in the church. Some feel jaded or hurt by the church. More than ever, the world needs us. The church needs us as daughters of the king to remember why she exists. Because ultimately, we care, we should care more about God's glory than what's in it for us. So, why do we delight in Christ's church, right? That's what the title of this session is about. Spiritually healthy women delight in Christ's church. And simply, we delight in Christ's church because we love what Jesus loves. We love what Jesus loves. And if we're united to him, we will love the one he's united to, the church. And if we're committed to him, we will be committed to who he loves. He loves the church. And he loves his bride, and he gave his life up for her. He didn't just do nice things for her. He gave his whole life up for her. He doesn't need us trash-talking her, grumbling about her, ignoring her, and he does, definitely does not want us harming her. She may not be perfect yet, but his desire is for each of us to help build her up, to love on her with truth, and godliness, and to seek the health of other saints towards Christ-likeness. Amen? So I think a wonderful way to see this, if we're talking about spiritual health and spiritual maturity, is that spiritually healthy women, spiritually mature women, will care about the spiritual health of other women in the church. We see that in Titus, right? And unless, and we can't do this without God's strength and his help and his grace, Right? We don't have it in ourselves, but we strive with the strength that God supplies. So if you feel burdened by this, like, oh, I just can't love the church the way Jesus wants me to love. I don't have the time. I'm, you know, there's all these things going on. Sisters, Jesus is the one who has given up his life for the church. He is the one who has purchased her, cleansed her, redeemed her, sanctified her. We just get the privilege of loving her and building her up. And we can't do it without his strength. So if you are feeling weak in this area, if you are feeling just a lack of love for the church right now, pray to the Lord to give you the strength and the grace to remember in those times when you feel tempted to listen to whatever temptation or even Satan tempting us to disparage the church. In those moments, pray and ask the Lord for his guidance, for his help to see her for who, how he sees her. As we sit here, remember that God delights in us. Not because we're so cute and we're so beautiful and easy to love, but he delights in us because of Christ's redemptive work. 
He intended for us to be saved into his family even before we took our first breath. That was his plan. And his plan is to gather a whole bunch of rebels who don't deserve his kindness to himself. What we teach and do today in our churches, how we interact with each other, how we encourage our pastors, it not only affects us today, but it also sets the course for for future churches. And that's something I don't often think about. I often think about, like, just right now, how it affects me. But realize that what we do in our churches today is setting the course, setting a trajectory for future believers, for better or for worse. My former pastor used to say, we want to live today as if we're putting out uh, time bombs of God's grace in the future. That even long after we are gone, there will be these explosions of God's grace going off, even when we're not there, because we have decided today to not only care for those that we're around today, but also to have an eye towards the health of future churches as well, saints that we will might never get to see. So living a spiritually healthy life in Christ's church, how we are called to delight in the church because Jesus delights in her. He gave himself up for her. He bought her with his blood. But how do we do this practically? There's so many things. Just even listening to Dr. Ellen, I was like, wow, there's so many things, Lord, for us to meditate on and to grow in and like praise God for each day of his grace that we get to keep learning and and we don't want to be unteachable. We want to continue to be teachable about all that is included in his word. But the first thing I would say is be lovingly committed to his bride. If you want to know how to delight in the church and to have spiritual health, because delighting in the church is correlated to having a spiritual healthy life. You can't separate the two. Remember, the gospel is church-shaped. So the first thing I would encourage is we need to be lovingly committed to his bride. And there will be different seasons in life, right, for some of us, where church attendance uh, may be a challenge, may be difficult. But I want to exhort us to not let, let that go out the door. The Bible commands and assumes that we will regularly worship with the local church. That Sunday morning or afternoon is a dress rehearsal for that final day when we will see our bridegroom face to face. We don't want to forsake that. It's assumed, the Bible assumes that all of God's people would be committed to his bride. Remember at the beginning I said the commitment to the local church is evidence of our love and commitment to the Lord Jesus and his glory. And when my kids were younger, I went through a season where I was not attending church regularly. And I had respectable reasons. The kids were little. Sometimes one of them would be sick. You know, my, I had health issues. And there were respectable reasons for me not to be there. But the truth is, the truth is, I didn't want to go because it was so much work. And I hate to admit that, but I had done these calculations in my mind, and I had found the church not worthy in my own eyes. How, ugh. And after some time, my husband lovingly came to me, patiently came and said, Bev, I think you see gathering with the church as optional rather than seeing it as essential. And I was so convicted because he was right. Jesus shed his blood for his church, and I couldn't be inconvenienced to show up for her. Sisters, remember that even our presence whether we're feeling it or not, even our presence ministers to the other saints, to the family of God. And if it's hard to show up for yourself, show up for others. Show up for others. We need each other. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. Even the weaker parts, the Bible says, are indispensable. They're essential. If one part suffers, they all suffer together. If one part is honored, we all rejoice. That's from 1 Corinthians 12. The other way that we could delight in the church is to, is to recognize that we've been equipped. We have been equipped to nurture and serve his body. So the church is another picture that we're given often is that she's the body of Christ. He's the head. 
Ephesians 4 says, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So what words are repeated there, right? When you read the Bible, you want to look for those repeated words because they didn't have highlighters. So the way that they would highlight something was to repeat it. And the words that we see here in this section are love, body, and grow. Love, body, and grow. Every part of Christ's body, down to its very joints, between the bones, is equipped and given a purpose. Every part is essential. If you are in Christ, his Holy Spirit has portioned a gift to you to help the body grow in love. So it's a cycle. It's a cycle. we got to grow each part of the body in love, and then the whole body will grow in love. Every single believer is an essential member of Christ's body. And this is where we get the word membership from. If you've never heard that word, or if you have heard that word, sometimes we think like Costco membership, you know, I don't know what club membership, but that's not what the Bible's getting. The Bible uses the word member in two ways, members of a body and members of God's household, right? And every member is equipped by God's grace to serve and nurture the growth of the body of Christ. So it's you're probably thinking, <clears throat> what are some specific acts of service that, that I can do? But it's so much more than that, sisters. When we think about the church, <clears throat> it's not just thinking about <clears throat> what specific ministry should I be a part of. Though it includes that, I think if we broaden the picture out and look at the big picture, What it means to be equipped to nurture the growth of the body is to realize we get to play a part in each other's growing in holiness. Think of it as gardeners in the Lord's field. We get to nurture the ripening fruit that is popping up in each other's lives. We're not the ones who give the growth, right? We are not the ones who can make the growth happen, like Dr. Olin was saying, but we are the ones who get to help nurture, prune, water, tend. We, we get to observe. We get to say to each other, look at how God's grace is working out in your life. We get to watch and see how the Lord grows beautiful fruit on the vine that is our lives as we each abide in him. And the fruit comes from being deeply rooted in Christ. So we're going to look for fruit more than we think of specific practicalities. We want to look for the fruit first before we get to the specific, how am I going to serve in the church? Because ultimately, we want to be observing the fruits of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. And so all of the ministries, all of the ways that we spend our time and our resources, it it has to be pushing that main desire to see the women around us grow in the fruit of the Spirit the fruits of the Spirit. So I want us to be um, remembering that serving the Lord isn't just a Sunday thing. It is a whole life thing. Service for for the believer is a lifestyle, not just a day of the week. Another way that we can delight in the church is to remember that we are beautifully adorning his temple, God's temple. So there's another image, the temple. The church is the temple of God. One pastor wrote, the church is the mirror that reflects the whole effulgence of the divine character. That means we, as the church, get to mirror the almighty God. The apostle Paul wrote that we are precious stones that have now been made into the temple of God. So sisters, what does this look like for us? Well, it makes me think of Titus 2. Paul gives instructions to Titus, who is helping the churches in the island of Crete, which was known for its, its idolatry, its crazy lifestyle, its deceitfulness, its cheating, drunkenness. They were known as brute beasts as a culture. And he's teaching these believers who are coming out of darkness into God's kingdom of light. 
how to live in a dark world. And what was his main instruction to the church for how to combat living in, a, in, a, in this fallen place? Discipleship, discipling, right? Discipleship is ultimately us conforming to the image of Christ, Romans 8. But we get to help each other in the work of discipling. So ultimately, if you think of discipling as following the Lord, we get to help be alongside each other, calling each other to follow the Lord together. And that is what discipling ultimately is. As women, we get to adorn the temple as we encourage each other and speak words of grace. We get to call each other to be daughters of Sarah, placing our hope in Christ, not being fearful of what is actually very fearful because we have a good God who cares for us and we can entrust ourselves to him. We get to pursue holiness together that is imperishable and precious to the Lord. We get to remind each other that Jesus is a complete savior. He didn't just only die to deal with our sin and our punishment, but he also freed us from the power of sin. And we get to live lives together that reflect that, that he is a complete savior. He has freed us from the power of sin in our lives. So disciple each other, follow Christ, and help others follow Christ. That's what spiritually healthy women will do. They will have an eye towards adorning the temple of God. The other way that we can also delight in the church is to graciously live within his flock. So that's another picture, right? We see it all throughout the scriptures. From Genesis to Revelation, there is this theme that God is the good shepherd and that there is a people who are his, who belong to him, and these people are his sheep or his flock. Jacob, before he died in Genesis, says, God has been my lifelong shepherd. I love that. He could reflect and know, God has been my lifelong shepherd. David said, the, the good shepherd is the one who leads us, who goes before us, beside us, behind us, making sure that goodness and mercy will follow us all the way home. He will get us home. That's his promise. And he will make good on it, just as he has made good on all of his promises. So we are those in God's flock. We're not alone. Another beautiful picture showing that we're not alone. He has shown us all grace, and the good shepherd leads us. And this is where our churches should be marked by joy and grace. There should be an atmosphere among us, sisters, of grace, right? Not of backbiting or of gossip or tearing down, but of truth-speaking grace, a desire to love each other by being fluent in the gospel, being word-centered, grounded on the scriptures of God, and to be grace-loving people. I love that one of the sessions here is learning to be quick to forgive, which should mark us as the people of God. Remember what we were. There's so many lists throughout the Bible that talk about what we were if not for the intervention of God in Christ. So we should be a people marked by hum humility, by teachability. And I think one of the saddest things that we have, my husband and I have seen in ministry is when saints become unteachable in the church and it, how it wreaks havoc. And I... I I'm guilty of this too. I'm learning, and I need constant reminders that I need to be teachable and humble. Everything that I have, I cannot claim the credit for it. All that we have has been given to us by the Lord. So remember, we can delight in God's church by following God together. We're not following each other. It's not follow me, period. It's follow me as I follow Christ. And at different seasons and different times in our life, we may be the one helping pull another sheep along, or we may be the sheep that needs to be pulled along, but that's where we need the whole flock. And I think what sin does, 
while we're still on this side of eternity, we're fully redeemed, yet not redeemed in full, because we're not there yet, what sin will do is tell us, it will tell you, it will tell me, you know, um, you need to just forget about the church. It's not going to help you. Your life will be better apart from the church. And I tell you, Satan, the way he tempts us is he wants us to forsake the things we need the most when we need it. He wants to deprive us of our oxygen, of our food, of our nutrients. And one of those nutrients that God has given to us as a gift is the church. So remember that, sisters. Don't forsake the flock of God. Come alongside each other. Point each other to Christ. Not yourself, but to Christ. Every time God talks about the church, we, all, we often find the word love close by, right? And this is a word that is so misunderstood in our culture today. In God's, in God's vocabulary, in his dictionary, love is obedience, right? And Psalm 119.64 says, The whole earth is filled with his steadfast love. Jesus loved the Father and obeyed him perfectly. And the hero of the story of redemption is God, not us. And it's no wonder that when we get that flipped, we want to make the story about us, and he's like our side character in our our story. No, no, no. We are the side characters in his story. And it's as we love each other in the body of Christ that we we get to magnify the love that he has shown us. You know that famous love passage in 1 Corinthians 13? Love is kind. Love is, you know, we all know that passage. It often is talked about in terms of marital love, right? Or, yeah, in marital love. But that passage, remember, is about love in the church. We need to be reminded that love towards our spiritual siblings should be patient, kind, not arrogant, not boastful, Ooh, doesn't keep a record of wrongs. Ooh. And, and look at all the passages we've covered today. How often was love mentioned? Love is what makes the body grow. And as the body of Christ grows, it produces more Christ-like love. Paul tells the whole Corinthian church, just as we are being told today, that if we speak in tongues of angels, but we have no love, we're just being noisy. If we can prophesy or have deep theological understanding, but no love, we're nothing. Even though people can't see where there is love behind our ministry in the church, God sees. We can trust that. We can trust that he sees our unseen motives and know that it will glorify him in the end. And our unseen motives also play a part in displaying the glory of God in the church. He does care about why we do what we do in the local church. So sisters, keep examining what drives you to show up, what drives you to serve, what drives you to disciple, what drives you to speak the way that you do about other sisters or the church. It's good for us to examine these things. If we don't, our spiritual health suffers. At the end of 1 Corinthians 14, Paul tells the Corinthians that their services, their service should be, their services, that their worship gatherings should be orderly and reverent. And do you know why God put that there? He put that there, he tells them, because they should be conducting their life together. This is 1 Corinthians 14. In such a way they should be living together that when a non-Christian or or someone, a non-member, someone from outside of their church, comes into their worship service, that they should be able to worship God, fall on their face, and worship God and declare, truly, God is among them. That is the culture that we desire to build up, that people would be able to say when they're in our midst, and truly, God is among them. So sisters, remember that as Those who are part of the body of Christ, we, each of us, play a role in that work. 
It's not just for the pastors. It's not just for the staff. It's for every single one of us to be upholding and proclaiming the good news, that matter of first importance about Jesus Christ. Oh, sisters, I pray that it would be so for us, that we would be enjoying the Lord and making disciples. Let's pray together. Lord, we come before you as your family. I thank you for my sisters here and how you have just been mightily at work in, in every corner of the earth and more specifically here in the LA region, bringing women, calling them to yourself, Lord. I thank you that you have given us the gift of repentance and trust, that you have justified us in Jesus, that you have sanctified us, redeemed us, adopted us, loved us. And Lord, we thank you for the church, your bride, who you love and gave your life up for. Lord, I pray for all of us that we would always, the Holy Spirit would always remind us that we're not at the center of the church, but you are. That we exist to be bringing you glory together, that it's not an individual sport, Lord, but that it is a team effort. So, Father, I pray that you would be putting on the forefront of our minds when we think about the church, when we anticipate gathering together with other saints, that the gospel is church-shaped. Help us shape our lives accordingly, Lord. We can't do it on our own strength. We need your help. So we pray for your help and your guidance upon all these women and for myself, I pray for the churches that are represented here, oh Lord. I pray for their pastors. God, bless them. Bless them so that they would uphold the truth and defend the truth and proclaim the beauty of the gospel so that many would come to know Jesus and glorify him here in this part of the world. I pray these women would be marked by encouragement, by grace, that they would be quick to speak the truth in love, Oh, Lord, do this for your glory and for your name's sake, because we are your people. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, ladies.